It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Gabbers, and welcome to another fun episode of Goat Gab. As always, we're so glad to have you joining us today. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren Hughes. I'm the other co-host, Cameron Jodlowski. And today we are uh, joined by a very special guest all the way from um, the great state of North Carolina, Jackson Noble. Jackson, how are you? I'm doing great, and it's great to be here with you guys talking about goats, as you know we all love to do. Jackson, do you want to start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, your herd, and um, we could we could talk a lot about your herd because it's got a lot of accolades there, but just tell us a little about yourself. Okay, so... I'm Jackson Noble. As Cameron said, I'm from North Carolina, right in the central part of the state. I am a licensed dairy goat judge by ADGA. Um, I also work in construction as a real job. Um, I co-run J&M Hideaway Farm with my mother and my sister, and I co-run 3G Family Farm with my wife, Erica. So that's quite the spectrum. What breeds do you interact with, Jackson? Okay, so I uh, with 3G uh, Family Farm, that is solely Nigerians. And then on the J&M Hideaway end, uh, we do Nubians. And then I also interact quite frequently with the Toggenbergs that reside at J&M Hideaway under the herd name of Heatwave. And that would be... Uh, my brother-in-law Noah's herd. So that's kind of fun. That's quite quite the variety that you oh, have yes, there. There's definitely all ends of the spectrum on uh, our farm. Well, it's fun, and I was just talking about this with somebody today about having you know kind of there's different um, sets of ancestors. Let's just call it that between the Toggenbergs at your place with Swiss breeds, the Nubians are originating from Africa and the Nigerians also somewhat coming from Africa as well there. So kind of fun to have um, three different lines and three different kind of purposes of goats that were originally when they were imported to the U S there. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting. And I think it plays into the management of the goats as well, but you can just watch the, their behavior, uh, even things as simple as like the coat of hair that they grow. And um, I'm a science guy. So I enjoy like just speculating on the evolutionary advantages that these animals would have had it if they were still living in <clears throat> the habitat that their ancestors lived in uh, with the Nubians, with their pendulous uh, wide ears uh, that being a great way for them to cool off you know, being from Northern Africa uh, whereas the Toggenbergs having the thick coats, uh, being able to live uh, more easily in the Swiss mountains. So uh, it's very interesting stuff there. I could go on and on about that. Okay, I got a, qu- I got a question for yeah. you because I, according to Facebook, I am a closet Toggenberg enthusiast. <laughs> Have you, do you like the mohair the Togs grow or do you just 
think it's like weird and gross. Well, I do. I do kind of think it's weird being a Nubian breeder. Like I love the slick coated Nubians. Uh, the Nigerians being a little more fuzzy. Um, you know, I've gotten used to that, but you know, I think there some of the there's even some variants within the togs uh, and their hair coats now. Uh, the the big uh, nasty buck coats like that. I'm you know most of the time I'm just like come summer it's like oh just please shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before we dive into our topic, though, uh, let's start and talk what's happening at our places. Laura, why don't you go ahead? Um. So, you know, it's with that, with that January uh, date that's appeared, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's January. Like my club show is about four months away from now, which is exciting. And uh, so I got contracts out to all of our judges that we didn't get those finalized yet. So just a reminder for our listeners, if you're in charge of a show and you have verbal contracts, but not the ones on paper, go ahead and make sure you get that done because, you know, just like we like to know for sure we have judges for the shows that we're putting together. I know that our judge friends like to have that in the pocket too. So they're not waiting and wondering, do they still want me to judge that show? So get those sent out. Um, just putting things on the calendar, uh, getting ready to sign up for Adga plus, which that's due by the end of January. And, uh, I'm really excited. I found a milk tester, so I don't have to be a bad owner sampler tester anymore. Cause I just, I just realized it just doesn't do it for me. I, I'm sure it's easier. And I know that there's lots of people who are committed and uh, well organized and do a great job with it. But I have learned the hard way that I need to know that somebody's coming on such and such a date and get it done. So I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be on standard test for the first time this year. So um, that's about it. Getting, getting excited for kidding season. Can't wait till I can start doing some bikini clips out in the barn and hopefully see some cute little udders. And that's, that's life here. Good, good. Jackson, um, you're probably kind of doing some similar things, maybe signing some contracts, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was what I was going to say, Laura, talking about uh, being the first of the year in January, kind of hitting you and you're just like, all right, you know, these club shows are only a couple months away. Uh, you know, for me, that's kind of, I get a lot of contacts right before the holiday season about judging shows. And so I get a lot of contracts that maybe are emailed to me right around the holidays. And so normally by the first of the year, I'm trying to get all of those nailed down and s- sent back out so people know uh, that we're committed and we're ready to go. Uh, now, I will let shows know beforehand, you know, I will give them verbal confirmation that, you know, hey, I'm available to judge and I'm happy to do that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes in the holiday rush, uh, contracts uh, can wait till January, at least for me, unless somebody specifically asks for it to be sent sooner. I would agree with you on Jackson on that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just easy kind of at the first of the year, just kind of making your plans for the year and you get everything together. For For me, that's the easiest thing to do, just send them all out. Um, and then we're, of course, we're making travel preparations for those shows that we're going to be going and judging and the ones that we're going to be going and showing at. Gentlemen, I have a question for the two of you, since you both are active judges and you also have uh, competitive herds that you like to show. 
When a show calls and offers you the opportunity to judge one day and show another day, is that an enticement to you or is that usually just more trouble than it's worth? Okay, so I'll start. Um, It depends how far the show is away from where the animals are housed in their domicile. That sounds really confusing there. Um, But... It, it really just depends. So my dad and I have had the opportunity to do this a couple times here. And it does have its um, advantages because maybe you get your entries at a reduced cost or maybe you um, are, are able to show those animals and then make a little money on the side there. But at the same time as well, there always is this um, fact in the back of your head where you're thinking, okay... Um, if I am showing on day one and judging on day two, I may be seeing the same animals or showing the same animals and seeing those as well there. So subconsciously what you're seeing is maybe you're seeing the day one animal because they look better on day one than day two. So um, subconscious, there might be some subconsciousness to that there. If, if I had to pick, I would prefer to judge on day one and show on day two. Um, but I will tell you that from a logistics perspective, if the show is not really close to my house, um, it, it can be, and I don't have a lot of help there, um, it can be a little bit challenging, especially with some of the breeds that we have. Um, I think about the sable breed specifically where we have, may have to take all 10 milkers or all 10 animals. Um, so we have to logistically plan that out in addition to worrying about somebody judging. And what do you think, Jackson? Well, I was going to say, I, I'm in agreement with Cameron on that uh, pretty much. It's definitely, it can be a blessing and a curse. Uh, we have a pretty extensive show team. So uh, if we were offered that, uh, we could we could probably make it work. But again, it would depend on how far away it is. You know, obviously for me, uh, I would be more comfortable judging the first day, just like Cameron said. You're if you're judging the second day, you're looking at these animals, and you may already be uh, prejudiced to what they're uh, you know what they looked like the day before or where they placed the day before. And you know, so for me, I would I would much prefer to judge on the first day. Um, you know, and this may be a personal opinion of mine. I don't know that I would even take it uh, take a show and bring animals if I were to judge on the second day. Okay, good. I just, I was just curious cause I can, I can see pros and cons to both of it. And you guys kind of uh, solidified in my mind what I was thinking on that. So thanks for the answer guys. Cameron, what's going, what's going on with you? Well, I uh, got back from my honeymoon on Friday. Um, that was really nice. I appreciate uh, Laura and uh, Margaret holding down the fort while I was gone on the goat gab side. So Thank you for that. Um, we spent seven days in St. Lucia, which was very warm, very nice, um, and uh, very, very relaxing. Um, so that's really, really nice. Um, we start kidding in two weeks. Um, so prepping for that as well. Additionally, did the one thing that uh, I said I wasn't going to do and bought a goat <laughs> um, with my wife. But when opportunity comes knocking, um, you always listen um, to your wife. Uh, um, so we bought a goat additionally signed up for, um, Adga plus today as well. So found our DHIR tester, um, which you would think in Southern Wisconsin, in the heart of dairy country, that wouldn't be as hard as it was. Um, we, we had talked to 
like four different testers. And then we finally got a quote on the fourth one. So um, signed up for that today. Um, and then we are just trying to get ready. We're going to spend the weekend getting ready for kidding and kind of just get all that planned out. We're still kind of got vacation on our brain. So, uh, we're not fully caught up yet to the time zone. (laughs) Well, that's, that's okay. You know, hang on to it as long as you can, right? Absolutely. Yes. On that. But, um, jumping Right into ad good news here. Laura, there was a big uh, Zoom meeting with the uh, EC for the directors. Do you have any information to tell us? There was. Uh, I feel like it was a positive meeting. And um, for everybody who's chomping at the bit to find out more about it, there is uh, there, there are statements forthcoming. So um, all I can say is that, you know, not everything can be fixed all at once. We know that. Everybody knows that. But I'm I'm feeling very positive about changes that have been made, and um, you know if the things that they're working on can work out, I think we're going to have a lot of happier members soon. So um, it, just stay tuned; that's coming up. And um, the only other things on Adga News: just don't forget that your national show ballots are due by February 13th, and you can um, you know, postmark it or send it by mail. You can fax it to ADGA. They have to receive a fax by the 13th of February. And then also, which, you know, national show is important, but this is more important. Make sure that you uh, vote on those proposed constitutional uh, changes for our constitution and bylaws. And those uh, have to be postmarked by the 13th of February as well. So it's just really important. If you have some questions about it, feel free to reach out to one of your directors and, um, you know, ask them what their thoughts on it are on the proposed changes and, and why it's important to consider those for ADGA. So just, you know, don't forget that if you want to make a difference, make sure that your voice is heard is all I'm going to say on that. All right. Uh, let's jump on into the main topic today. We are talking kidding season prep. Um, it's right around the corner for many of us. This is the third year we've done this episode, but I think it's so important to revisit every year because I think we all change. Um, we adapt, we do things differently. Um, so the first question I have for the group, and I'm going to start with Jackson here. What did you learn in the 2022 kidding season that you're going to help and apply to 2023? Jackson, why don't you go ahead? Okay, so I did. I wasn't a prolific note maker on uh, uh, the Google Docs there, but I did put one thing under there, and that's make sure you get everything out. Uh, we had several does last year that ended up having multiples, upwards of four and five, and a couple of those had like three uh, babies that were alive and a couple that were uh, dead upon arrival. Uh the live ones, they were able to push out just fine, but the uh, ones that were uh, dead, actually, in a couple of them, because they were so soft, ended up getting retained for another uh, day. And we, you know, and we're very good about checking it. And so it was quite a surprise. You know, you go back up there in a couple hours and there's another one that's dead or you go back up there that night and there's one that's dead in the stall there. Uh, so my thing, especially if you have a larger dose, like the Nubians as deep as they are, 
make sure that you feel everything and you get those out because uh, if you leave one of those in there retained and they close up, it's uh, going to be very uh, bad for the dough. Gosh, Jackson, when you say saying that just brings back a really bad kidding season that we had. And I think we had, we had two or three doughs that we had that exact same scenario. And you're right. It's those deeper bodied doughs that, you know, you, you think, well, I really thought she might have more than that, but, but you know, these are good sized kids and she acts like she's done and, and you bump them and you don't feel anything. And it's, it's, heartbreaking and and we've lost not just kids that way but we've lost does that way too and it's just it is really hard sometimes to know for sure and as um as much as these new kids mean to us hopefully the does that are carrying them should mean even more so you know if especially for the dose sake, make sure you make sure you do that last sweep or do that belly bumping make sure that everything that's in there is out laura we had talked about something in the past. I'm going to bring it up again. And Jackson, okay. I don't know if you you have this as well, okay. but have you all ever thought about using the ultrasound machine to just do sweeps of that? We actually have. Jackson, I'll let you handle that one okay, first. Okay, yes. So we actually have used okay. the ultrasound machine in those situations sometimes just to see what's, what's going on. Um, and that actually has showed us some things sometimes that we might not have otherwise seen. Uh, some of your uh, couple, the upside obviously to that is you're going to, you know, you can catch some things that you might have otherwise missed. Um, one of the downsides to the, not downsides, but one of the things you have to be careful with the ultrasound is that you, uh, you may miss some things, especially if you have um, a, a baby that has died uh, at some point during the gestation period and starting to be resorbed a little bit in the mother, those bones are going to be a lot softer than a live kids would be. And so the ultrasound machine's not going to pick that up quite as clearly. So you have to really know what you're looking for if you're going to try and find something like that. Um, and then obviously kids are positioned differently uh, when the dough goes into labor. And so you have to look a little bit, you have to look in different places to try and find all those kids. So for the listeners out there, I would just advise, it, you know, that's a great tool to use. Uh, and Cameron, you probably have some more insight into that than I do. But I would just advise not to use, not to use that as the ultimate failsafe. My wife does. I would not say I'm an expert by any means. I mean, I still think the cotyledons look like shrimp cocktails. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm not that, but I, I would agree with that. And again, uh, yeah, that you are so correct there on that. And I, I have a question though from you: Is it different on the sweeping or looking at the, the deep-bodied Nubians versus the deep-bodied Nigerians there on that front? Or I mean, or or has it been kind of everything? Um, so you're talking about? Are you talking about like a sweep with the ultrasound machine or a sweep with the hand? Sweep with the hand. I mean, do you, can you do you go in there with the? I mean, you're a, you're you're a tall guy yes. and slender. I mean, yes. very skinny, but so, you, I, you got big hands. Yeah, so, so I have I, I um yeah I am uh, tall and slender, but I, I I have pretty large hands. So unless I absolutely have to, I don't normally go up in the does to try and sort things out. Uh, especially the Nigerians, my wife does that. Okay, because uh, she has the smallest hands. Um, 
but for the new the Nubians, mainly uh, my sister and my mother do that. Um, but I I can do it in the Nubians if I have to. Jackson, I would totally totally echo what you said. I was hoping you might have a little more experience on that than I did. And it sounds like that you've used the ultrasound uh, as a tool to help you ensure that you've gotten everything. For me, the year that I bought my ultrasound, it was the year that we had lost those Mm -hmm. kids. And I bought it specifically for that. Um, Working in OB, we use ultrasounds all the time for, you know, make sure that, you know, everything's been passed after a mom's had a a human baby, you know, I have been disappointed in myself and it's just lack of knowledge. I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there, there is somebody that could teach me, but it seems to me like you need to know what depth settings to use and um, to get a really good picture of a postpartum goat. Mm -hmm. And I don't quite know those settings very well. I'm great at seeing the shrimp cocktails, yeah. as Cameron mentions. <laughs> I can see Cotyledon's great, but I've not. I have yet to be able to see, um, you know, a, a baby still inside um, a doe that's kidding. So that's something that is kind of on my to learn list down the road. Yes. Uh, so if any of our listeners have great resources, I'd sure be open to that. Yeah, I would, but I, I'd like to do better yeah, with that. Yeah, I would. Um- I would love to hear any feedback from the listeners on that as well, because it's, it is a learning process. And I think, you know, the more you do it, the more you learn and the more you realize how, how little you actually know about it. Um, so most of the time uh, my mother does the ultrasounding because I'm either holding does or uh, trying to hold legs or something so they don't kick around. Um, if we're doing, if we're doing it like uh, during the kidding um, we have not done that many. I think we did the two last year that had those retained kids. Um, I'm pretty sure that we looked at those. We've actually looked at a couple this year. Uh, we looked at one, uh, just two days ago, uh, actually on, on Friday afternoon, um, uh, that had aborted earlier that day, just to make sure that we got everything out of her. Very good. Yes, great advice, Jackson, on that. Laura, what's what's your uh, knowledge from Kidding Seasons 2022? Well, the first one is to listen to your gut feeling. That has served me well as a nurse, but I also feel like as a dairy goat owner, you know your animals best. You're out there with them all the time. And if something in your gut tells you that something is not right, even if you know, you've gone down your check checklist or whatever. And you think, I, I just don't know. Something doesn't feel right. Listen to your gut feeling. Um, you know, if that means that you have to get phone a friend or get a vet to come out or take your, your animal into a vet just to have it looked at, it's always better to have wasted a trip. I feel than it is to, um, look back and think if only I had done that, I might've been able to save an animal. And, and along with that, do not induce an animal unless you are 200% sure of that breeding date, that there's absolutely no way that they could have been bred later. Make sure of your breeding dates before you ever grab that bottle of Lutalice or whatever it is that you're using to induce. Make sure that you know what, what your dates I, are. I absolutely uh, agree with that 100% or 200% as you said on there. Do you induce, do you induce on your farm, Jackson? We do it very sparingly. Um, we like to, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 
we have the luxury of having somebody there uh, all the time with my mother uh, and my uh, staying home and my sister home uh, right now. So we don't have, we don't have to do that. You know, in some situations I know people, that's the only way that they can, can swing kidding season, but we like to let ours do it naturally if possible. That makes sense. Those are mine. So Cameron, what's your word? What are your words of wisdom? I, I'm just I'm going to say the opposite of what Jackson said, and again, it kind of shows the breadth of, of what it is. Here is is I love inducing goats if I if I have the right dates. Yeah, I love inducing goats. I love the flexibility it provides. Um, being being busy with with a demanding job, and my wife has a demanding job. My dad has a demanding job, but he's retiring next year, so this is this might be his last year of inducing goats. Um, but um, you know, having demanding jobs that doesn't doesn't necessarily give you flexibility, oftentimes, I, I think inducing is a great tool in the toolbox to have there. But the biggest thing I learned last year is I learned some patience as it pertains to my good old friend oxytocin. Um, and, and, um, Laura knows that I, I might, have, like I have in past been a little, a little in love with oxytocin there. However, last year, I think I only actually used oxytocin on two goats, um, which really, um, was, was really good and helped me practice patience, um, as a, a goat, um, herder there. So that's my, that's my, what I learned in 2022, but the, the, the times I needed it. Um, I, I will tell you, I, it, the, the one time I needed it, it didn't do anything, if that makes sense. So, and it kind of goes back to Jackson's story there where this goat had, she wasn't progressing because the kids weren't alive. It, that's kind of, that's kind of the best way to describe that there. And I won't go into any more detail about that because it was, it was not a good situation. Um, and I think I've, I, Laura, I think I've shown you the pictures on my phone of what, what came out of her. So. I know this is probably jumping ahead a little bit, but I think that kind of goes along with the gut feeling thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if if a delivery is not progressing the way you think it should, that's always maybe a little nudge from your gut to tell you why isn't it progressing? You know, what's, what's wrong is, is a kid malpositioned is a kid dead because, you know, we don't really know what starts labor in anything. Um, you know, whether it's a human or it's an animal, labor starts on its own. We can force it to happen, but, you know, is it something from the kid? And and if you're waiting on a dog to go into labor and she's way overdue, is it because there's something wrong with the kid? So, you know, just, just again, follow your gut feeling on that. Yeah. Absolutely there. All right. So enough of uh, our, 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 our sadness. Let's kind of bring it up here. Um, let's uh, talk about what we do to start kind of our preseason there. What do we do to get our, our goats ready for uh, kidding? Uh, Jackson, why don't you start us off? So um, for getting goats ready for kidding, we normally start a, a transition diet uh anywhere from five weeks to a month before they're due. Uh, we start um, most of the time, uh, all of our does are dried off by that point. So nobody's really getting grain. And then we'll, we will start feeding grain again to those that are due uh, in that one month to five week window. Uh, we give selenium 
to them. We are in, uh, we are not in the selenium deficient area and we do give free choice minerals, but we found that giving that, uh, extra boost of selenium, uh, before kidding season is, um, really helpful. Um, and then we do, um, hoof trimming. We actually did that two weekends ago on the Nubians, uh, and it's fixing to happen on the Nigerians here, hopefully this week. Um, and then, uh, I guess that would probably be about it. And then just the odds and ends of getting the barn ready and getting everything ready for the storm that we call kidding season. I got a question, Jackson. Okay. Uh, what form of selenium do you use? We use oral selenium. So like the stuff you would get from like tractor supply in the paste or yeah, the, like a pill? The paste selenium is normally what we use is the selenium and vitamin E. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that works pretty well for us. Laura, do you do anything else besides, um, you know, do you do any selenium or BOCE or what do you like to give, I guess, your in your preseason? So Missouri is not in a selenium deficient area. And um, I guess I've always been a little bit nervous about overdoing, overdoing selenium. Um, one thing that I have started doing over the past couple of years is I've fed DuraFirm um, minerals to the goats during their pregnancy. And that, that seems to help. It seems to make a difference. Their coats feel better. They just, they just look better. So I know that I, I believe that there's selenium in that, just not a big dose of it. So we just start ramping up the nutrition a little bit finer. hay. um, start graining them again about a month out because we don't, we don't usually grain them when they're dry either, unless, unless there's somebody that really ended their milking season, just really on the thin side, we might try to, you know, help, help them put a little bit of that weight back on before they get really big with kids. But for the most part, it's, it's that last month that we're really starting to ramp up nutrition on them. Gotcha. We, um, we, well, my wife likes to use multi-min actually, instead of like a selenium there on that um because they, there's just got different stuff there i am not again not the expert on that but we we will actually give multi-min and then we'll actually do another round of cd and t as well before they kid anything any and laura i know you like to do your bikini trims are you still doing that additionally as well there yes for two reasons <laughs> one is you know come on i love to see those little developing udders especially on kids oh, it just makes my day and then the other reason is I really don't like being whacked in the face with a munged up tail after the kid. So, you know, anything I can do to uh, get rid of some of that hair on that back end and make it a little more sanitary makes my day better. So am I the only one that does that of the three of us or do we all uh, we get actually, excited about we those do that tips? So, yes. And we are, um, I was going to add to that. Uh, we actually, er our Erica did that. Uh, just this past weekend and we got to see some of the first freshening Nigerian udders. So those were very exciting and uh, she always gets excited to go out there and do that. So I got to ask, this is, this is my wife's question okay. here because she's not with us tonight, but so does, does Erica, you know, does she work with the Nubians too, or is she just Nigerian only? Oh, we do. Oh, she does the Nubians with me as well. Okay. Okay. I, I wasn't sure on that. Yes. I was just kind of kind of curious there. Um, kind of like how I do the Toggenbergs. Are you so you're a closet Nigerian dwarf enthusiast? Oh, or? I wouldn't say closet anymore. I've came out. 
<laughs> That's a long way down for you to have to bend, though, Jackson. Oh, I mean, yeah. uh, all guy, well, you, know, you and Tade Cockburn. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys do anything different on the nutritional side? Do you start feeding a little like hotter hay, or do you just go with that bland grain? And are you going with a dry dough feed at that point, or are you going with like your your lactating? Um, a lot of questions here. You're like you're lactating. Um, to feed there. So we would, the feed you feed during lactation. So we would we use the same feed year round. Uh, we'll just give a little bit. Uh, we'll kind of up them so by the time that they actually freshen, they're getting the amount of feed that they'll be getting on the milk stand. Um, and then we do we do try to save some of the finer hay for right now when they're all huge with kids and don't have quite the room to pack in all of the. Uh, hay that they might eat in the summer months. Gotcha there. So we actually have a dry dough feed that we've been feeding all kidding season. So I'm going to, or all like incubation season, if that makes sense there. And I'm interested to see what that will do. Um, just because I'm just, I, I'm very curious about that and I'll see if it'll throw like heavier kids or not. But then after that, we'll actually switch to our um, higher protein feed costs a little bit more and you know we try to cut costs in the winter and then you know <laughs> those costs come on in the summer there um but but uh, again switching feeds and kind of but we're going to keep them on that um i think it's a 14 percent dry dough um before we ramp it up to that 16 percent. okay laura you talk about a glucose meter here what do you use that for for pre-kidding well um I, that was something I was going to throw out to you guys. I have one. I purchased one last year before kidding season um, and really didn't have any does that I felt warranted its use. And so um, I know that having a glucose meter and being able to check for ketones uh, has saved people's goats. I mean, the good old Facebook, you know, you can read the stories about people who have had does that have acted like they were just not doing well. And they realized that, yeah, they were into ketosis and, and, um, they needed, they needed some help. Do you guys check ketones or do you use a glucose meter on your goats? And, and if so, what's your criteria for using that? Jackson, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So with that, we we do check ketones, but again, it comes down to what you said earlier about listening to your gut feelings and knowing the individual animal. If we see uh, one of our does that is acting off, or we think is not eating right, or is looking on the thinner side, or even if she, if especially if she has like that smell to her breath, that sickly sweet smell, then we will. Uh, start checking ketones or uh, administering uh, the uh, ketosis treatment for that. Uh, it's not something that we use on every day. Yeah, I would agree with Jackson on that. Um, and again, mostly we use a lot of, I mean, we, we have the ketone strips too that we'll use um, on that. But mostly we normally determine it by breath at first there. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably go to a treatment right away here on that. But but we, we have the strips around um, but we just, I would say we're, we're fairly quick about catching them if we send something different in their breath there. Got it. So you got to use your nose as well as your gut, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was something I had to learn from a young age because 
Um, our veterinarian, that was actually his Achilles heel when it came to goats was he was not able to smell the ketosis breath on them. So I had to learn that pretty quickly. Very good. And, you know, for our listeners that maybe don't know what that smells like, how would you describe that for them? It's it, to me, it's almost like and Cameron, you, uh, you can add in what you think, too. Uh, but it's almost like a, a sweet smell. Uh, but at the same time, if you ever like a, if you know, if you have like this smell, I'm sure everybody kind of has this smell that they kind of uh, subconsciously label the sick smell. And if you kind of combine those two together, that's kind of what I envision. Uh, that's that's what I call it anyway. I would agree. I mean, I would say like molasses mixed with sickness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the normal cud smell. I mean, it's yeah. not, you know. Yeah. You're not going to have. We all know what any. goat breath oh. usually smells like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so guys, uh, Jackson, I'll ask you first. Do you have like a kit or a tote or something that, uh, when it's when it's time, you grab it and you you uh, make sure that you've got it. And if so, what do you keep in your kitting kit? Okay, so we actually we have a cart, uh, like one of the craftsman carts that you would buy at like your Lowe's or Home Depot or Home Improvement store. Uh, and those actually we we love the one that we have because you can roll it up and down the aisle of the barn to wherever you need it at. Um, we can fit a lot of stuff in there. Um, some of the some of the best things that I think that um, we have in it. Obviously, you're going to want to have your towels and stuff for drying them off, the puppy pads or whatever you may use there. Um, we like to have like the umbilical clips. Um, so if the, one comes out and their umbilical cord is bleeding a little too heavily, that we can just go ahead and snap that clip on before we. Uh, uh, or as we're drying them off. Um, and then of course, like, uh, we call them the goop getters, uh, but the little bulbs that you would use, um, for getting excess mucus out of their respiratory system. Uh, those are another thing that we like to have, uh, readily available on hand to grab. Goop getter. I like that name because we call them snot suckers. So I think goop getter's better. I don't know. Snot suckers a pretty good one too. <laughs> so Jackson, the umbilical clips. I mean, a, a rusty pair of like scissors is not uh, the equivalent of an umbilical clip. No. So we oh, we use. I, I'm not sure what the brand name is, but it's a little red clip, and they come in like a bag of like twenty or uh, so of them. And they just, it's a serrated, uh, like a ridged clip and you clip it down and it just, uh, it's very, it's very good at stopping the blood flow and, um, helps the core dry up quicker. Oh, I, I found it on the internet really quick. Really? Uh, back at, back at 10, 650. Yep. From- I would, I would recommend, I would recommend to anybody out there listening. If you don't have those in your kitting box or kit, buy them now because uh, I've seen a couple umbilical cords that have bled excessively. And, you know, 
a lot of people use dental floss for that. That's not a bad idea either, but it's for me, it's so much easier to clip one of those on than to have to tie the dental floss and, you know, wrap around there and make sure, you know, you have your slick fingers and you're trying to get this dental floss tight on the umbilical cord. So uh, I would highly recommend this product. So you don't use those on every kid, Jackson, you just use it on the ones that, I mean, we know them either the mom, you know, chewed yeah. the cord off way too short or it snapped as baby was coming out. So then you've got, you know, a lot of that excess bleeding then. Yes. Those, those would be the, the ones that I would use it on for sure. And it just gives me that peace of mind that those babies are not sitting there in that box losing blood. Okay. Very good. Gotcha there. Uh, you know, my kidding kit, um, and my kidding kit, I always have gloves, um, do I use them always? No, but when I don't use gloves and then I decide to go do a little exploratory there, I always have penicillin around as well because post exploratory, um, I think a, a good, in case something would happen in there, cause you never know mm-hmm. because you know, when you're exploring, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're looking for something, but you're not, <laughs> you're not necessarily know if it's the safest way, um, when you're swimming in there for lack of a better terms. Um, so penicillin post post exploratory, I think, is really important and a really good kind of standing operating procedure. Standing operated, operating procedure we have here on our farm. Absolutely, I think anytime you introduce a foreign object into the uh, reproductive system, it's always a good idea to uh, shoot them with some antibiotics. Um, you know, and we have gloves is another thing we have that on our kitting cart as well. Um, you know, and people, sometimes I don't know if people think about, but the, the human uh, skin, when we insert our arm in there to go, uh, exploring, uh, there's so many different germs and, uh, organisms on our living on our skin and on our hands and arms, uh, that, and all of that, when, once you stick it into the reproductive tract is going to transfer into that dough and some of it's fine, but some of it could, could definitely cause some issues. So along with that, having some, I mean, my favorite is a warm bucket of soapy water, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, if, if that's not possible, having some, um, good wipes to kind of, kind of clean off the back of the dough's back end before you even go in, even with a gloved hand. And that way you're not transferring feces and bacteria and everything up into that reproductive tract too. I think that's really important. And along with that, it's really important to remember that there are some reproductive diseases that goats have that can be transferred to humans. Chlamydia is one of them. So, you know, especially if you notice that you're having um, some problems with abortions and nobody wants to think about that, but you know, really make sure that you're keeping yourself safe, glove up, um, don't handle um, products of conception like that, you know, that we'll just call call the aborted kids or whatever, don't handle those with your bare hands, make sure that you're, you know, using safe practices, and your vet can be a great resource for you if you're not comfortable with knowing that. On the same on, on that same thing, if you have more than one dough kidding at a time, Make sure that you're cleaning your your hands, cleaning your arms, wearing different gloves as you go between dough and, you know, going between two different doughs. You don't want to spread something from one dough to another. Excellent point. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's really good there. One, one thing I really like to use is a basic chlorhexidine. 
Um, Nova Sand is a form of that that you can find at most farm stores there. Um, just as a nice, you know, Nova Sand and it's blue. So it's chlorhexidine, it's blue. Um, in some water, in some hot water, that works really, really well. And it's, a, I would say it's a very cheap disinfectant. Do either one of you gentlemen use a lubricant or have any type of a lube in your kitting kit? Yes. N- no. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so we, we actually do use lube. Go ahead, Jackson. Isn't that- um, we just uh, feel that it uh, reduces the risk of a uterine tear if we do have to go in there. Um, and so uh, we do keep that on the cart at all times. What kind of a lube do you use, Jackson? Um, we use like a um, st- stamp. I guess it would be, um, I don't know the brand name off the top of my head, but it would be like the, we use like the same one that you would use for like an AI speculum. Yep. That's what we use that too. And I know, I know that there are, there's, I think it's called J lube. I don't know. It's a, it's a powdered lubricant you can use, but I've never known anybody that's used that. And I also know, I think there's a concern if you do use that and then your dough has to go for a section. I think that that's harmful. That's a harmful thing to use. So I've always kind of shied away from using that, Mm -hmm. but um, we do the same thing. We keep, Actually, the tube of lube that I use in the fall for AIs, um, after it's used in the fall, I just go ahead and transfer that to my kitting kit so that I use it up and I'm not tempted to use old lube the next fall then. Yeah. I always use a fresh a fresh tube of lubricant when I'm starting my AIs again. So, Yeah, I don't have one in my kitting kit, but I have some in my AI box and I generally go grab that if I need it. So I don't, I don't have it, but I know where I can find it. I think that we, uh, you know, there's so many things that we use that have multiple, uh, multiple purposes there. So uh, even if you don't have something uh, right on hand that you need for kidding, just knowing where you can find some of those things is a very important thing uh, when you have those that are kidding. So one thing that I have added to my kit over the past couple of years, and I've only had to use it once, but I was so thankful that I had it, was a kid puller. Um, We had a situation where a doe was trying to have babies or have a baby that wanted to come out with its friend. And so I had three front legs and no head. So the head, I finally figured out which two front legs went together. So I, was able to get those, but the head was back up over its shoulder. So um, to me, those are like the absolute worst kidding ones because you think, oh my gosh, I've got a headless goat that's trying to be born and this is scary and, and I don't know what I'm feeling. So, you know, then you take that deep breath and you go back and you try to visualize and puzzle things together. This kid absolutely wanted to keep its head pulled back. So having a kid puller that I was able to put a noose around that kid's head and kind of pull it forward while um, I was putting some tension on the feet made all the difference in the world. Do you guys use anything like that? Yeah. So we have the Kelly, we have the Kelly kid puller, uh, never used it before. I will tell you and the listeners that not all kid pullers are created equal. Um, went on a farm call with my wife, um, because I was trapped in the truck with her. It's a very long story. Um, but (laughs) the kid puller that she had, um, was not as good as the Kelly kid puller, or excuse me, it wasn't kid, the lamb puller she had was not as good. 
nor was it um, as gentle, uh, let me say, as as the Kelly Kid Puller. So just remember, just because you have a, ke- a, a Kid Puller doesn't mean that it's created as equal as a Kelly Kid Puller. Absolutely. And we just actually, uh, I just ordered two of those for the Nubians uh, the other day just to have them on hand because like Cameron said, we had one, but it was not necessarily the one that we would want to use in a bind. So making sure the Kelly kid puller is a great design and uh, we've used it uh, from time to time with the Nigerians. I remember last year we had a Nubian kidding and I uh, was over at my house and I had to uh, run down the road and uh, may have been doing over the speed limit to get there to get a kid puller. Uh, there so they could get the kid out. So does that kid puller work well for the Nigerians? Um, we have only had to use it once, um, and that was a very traumatic kidding, uh, but it did end up getting the kid out. Yeah, and we are not getting paid any royalties from Kelly's kid puller <laughs> for this at all. Um, it's just a really cool product. You know, it's Kelly's K-E-L-L-I-E apostrophe S kid puller. If you're looking for it on the internet and um, I would, you know, highly recommend it because I think they're, I think they're pretty awesome. Yeah. They're a great product. Yeah. I agree on that there. Um, I guess kind of general stuff, kind of general stuff there. Um, Anything else you like to keep in your kidding kit Um, generally here, obviously there's, a lot of little stuff like needles, syringes. Um, I love, I love oxytocin. We won't get into my obsession with that uh, on this episode. Uh, um, so, um, any anything else? So, we actually one of the things that we do have in our uh, box is a um, heat lamp because a lot of times when you have does that have multiples, uh, we will actually. Uh, set up a box with a heat lamp in it for the kids to stay in while we're pulling out their siblings. Gosh, that sounds really organized, Jackson. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. What? Why didn't I think of that? That's a good idea. And uh, again, we're not getting paid any royalties from any of these companies. So we just want you to have the best products uh, in your uh, arsenal for kidding season. But we do use the premier heat lamps. I feel like they're one of the better ones out there for um, keeping the kids warm, but also not scalding them. They are hard to break, but I have found a way to break one or two. So uh. <laughs> what I like about those heat lamps is I don't, I don't lose sleep over them. I, I, they're so safe as far as, you know, not, I, I don't worry so much that I'm going to burn my garage down if I'm using it. I'm still careful about it, but so much safer than the other ones. Yes, absolutely agree. So Jackson, to answer your question, how I broke one or two, I think I was like trying to unscrew the light bulb and I unscrewed it in the wrong place. And like, I seemingly got the whole like light bulb. Like I think the bulb cracked or something. And then I tried to use a pair of pliers to like undo it myself. Yeah, that didn't work out too uh-huh. well. So that was the first one I broke. Yeah. The second one I'm pretty sure I broke by I I might have like ripped off one of the edges that was like the connector thing for it. So yeah, that's how that's how you break those. It's it's mostly just stupidity. 
So, uh, but but it is possible for those that that know though. Oh yes, so, yes. Um, I, I I love that Jackson. I can just Jackson. I love your kid cart. I just imagine um, Glenda just traveling the barn with the kid cart, just around, and everybody on your family is just birthing goats and. It's just a magical scene in North Carolina. Oh, it's definitely something. I don't know if we could take a poll uh, of all the people involved and see if the, uh, magical is the number one word or not. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> depends on the year, right? Yes, depends on the year for sure. And the kidding. So one of the questions that I think all of us are probably asked, especially by people who are newer um, in raising dairy goats, how do you know when you need to step in and intervene? Because I, I, I think even experienced breeders struggle with that sometimes. Is she still making progress or, you know, oh my gosh, it's cold and I've been out here for two hours and I still just see the nose and toes. I think it's positioned right, but shouldn't I just go ahead and help, help it on its way out and see what's going on? How do you know what, what is your rule of thumb for when you need to intervene? Cameron, I'll ask you that first. Oh, don't ask. That's a that's a really tough question because I again, um, I jumped the gun. You're talking to the oxytocin king. I haven't told my <laughs> oxytocin joke yet either, which is really unfortunate. Um, I didn't mean to let anybody down. Oh, there it is. Um, oh God, Cameron. <laughs> I have to tell that once per year. Um, but um, for me. Uh, there is some thought of, Hey, it's cold. Like if it might get any colder, would there be problems if I'm not here? So that's always kind of my thought of my mind too. Um, but additionally, if, if I am, I will go in and intervene when I have not seen enough progress. If I see a good amount of dilation, but I'm not seeing any progress after that, that's when I know there could be a problem. So that's kind of the best way to describe it. And I don't have, and I don't think there is a, I I can't sit here and say, Hey, you know, it's gotta be six inches of dilation set. You know, I can't say that here um, because I I think it's a feeling that you have. And sometimes my feelings are wrong. Jackson, what do you, what do you guys do? Well, I would, uh, I would echo Cameron in that, you know, we want to see the progress, uh, developing if we're not seeing the progress then we're probably going to intervene sooner that being said we do kind of have to differentiate between the breeds when we talk about this because the nubians are extremely lazy overall when it comes to kidding so sometimes they need a little bit of coaxing uh in order to get things done in a timely manner um you know, I think there. I think it's uh, a good exercise in patience for me, especially with the Nubians. Just making sure that everything, uh, you know, that I don't jump the gun on it. But I do like to, as I call, go fishing if I don't see progress pretty quickly on them. On the Nigerians, uh, it's quite the opposite. The Nigerians are uh, pretty quick normally, and if they, you know, they progress pretty rapidly and if you don't see something uh out of them uh, pretty quickly you're going to want to go in there at least on our days 
as a former Nubian breeder, I always felt the drama factor just added a, a lot more color and excitement to um, kidding season because there were always some Nubians that, like, from the first labor pain, they would really do their best to convince you that they were dying. Oh, yes. And I mean that with love. I'm not. Oh, oh yes. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm past the point of uh, denying that Nubians are divas. So we can just go ahead and throw that out there. They are for all of our Nubian breeders listening. Let's let's just go ahead and accept that fact and say they're great divas and we'll move on. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so Jackson, again, I'm going to go back to my love box of toast in here. Do you guys, when you guys aren't seeing that progress, do you ever think, hey, should maybe give some oxytocin? Maybe not. Laura's going to stop me because she's going to tell me it's bad. But I just kind of want your thoughts again. I don't know why I'm in love with oxytocin. So when you uh, so when you say oxytocin, you're talking about giving it uh, injectable, right? Yep, yep, yep. I'll give it two cc's. Um, I yeah, uh, I think I give it. I I am normally. Yeah. Yes, I am. Uh, gen- we do that occasionally, um, and generally when we do that, it's for something that's very abnormal, like this uh, doe that we had on Friday that decided to abort three weeks early. We did go ahead and give her a dose of oxytocin just to to make sure that everything was cleared out of her reproductive tract. But if we do see, you know, if we do see something yes, not and that's, progressing very, uh, you know, not progressing in the time that we would like, uh, we're not afraid to give it. But also we do kind of, we try not to jump the gun and administer it to those that may not necessarily need it. Okay, Laura, tell me I'm wrong and tell me why oxytocin may be bad in cases. Okay, well, and again, for our listeners that may not know, I'm an OB nurse and we use oxytocin all the time, of course, you know. Um, Oxytocin is an amazing drug when it's used the way that it should work. The biggest concern with using oxytocin is if that doe truly isn't in labor or if there is a, a problem that you're not aware of, oxytocin can cause a uterine rupture. And I, I don't, I don't know of anybody who's had an animal survive a uterine rupture. Um, oxytocin forces the body, forces, you know, contractions of that smooth muscle, that uterus. And, um, you know, if it happens too much, if you have too much oxytocin, too much contractions, it will cut the oxygen supply off to the kids. So, you know, that's another concern too. It's just, it's just one of those high risk drugs. Um, you know, working in human OB, there's not a, there's, that's one of the most scary drugs that we use and we use it all the time. So I would just, I would just, um, caution everyone don't use oxytocin unless you're being directed to do so by your veterinarian. Um, another use of oxytocin of course, is to help with milk letdown. So um, there are times that your vet may tell you to use oxytocin if you have an animal that is having problems letting letting down. Um, but again, that's a drug that you'd want to use with their direction, not just not just using it where you should. It's also a, a drug that um, you're going to want to wear gloves with. You don't want to get it on your hands either. Yep, that's that's why we have these conversations. And again, um, 
You know, we, we it's important to understand both sides of the story there on that. And I don't. Uh, last year, I learned. I've I've learned my lesson over the years. Let's just say that. And patient patience is a virtue, isn't that right, Jackson? You know, that's uh, something that I uh, I am learning more and more as I get older. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a person that I like to see action. I like to see a lot going on. So sometimes it's really hard for me to sit back and watch those. And sometimes it's very necessary to sit back there and just watch things progress in the time that they should. So let me ask you to this next question here, kind of on, you know, when the goat's getting here, when is the best time or when do you know when to call your veterinarian to come help you out? Jackson, I'll let you take this one first. Okay. Um, Well, for me, the first thing that I'm going to do if I need to call my veterinarian is I'm going to uh, yell down the uh, across the barn at my mom to come up there because she is a licensed veterinarian. I don't know how many people actually know that, but it's a, it's very it comes in very handy around the farm. Um, so her secret is out now for those listening. Uh, but uh, mom, mom is. <laughs> Don't don't put her phone number on, okay? Yes. Yeah. No. 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 Phone number is uh, not disclosed. Um, but that that's our uh, that is our first line of defense, and uh, she is excellent at uh, her job. So, if we we also have a vet that we work with um, quite closely uh, around and. If if mom can't get it out, then he's going to be getting a call. Yeah. So, uh, Laura, when when do you call your veterinarian? Over the years, I've learned, um, well, a couple of things about my veterinarian, and I don't mean this. I, you know, Cameron, you're married to one. Jackson, your mom's one. So I don't mean this in a negative way at all. I have learned that my veterinarian really does not like to make farm calls. And um, they're always going to ask me to bring my animal in. So for me to take an, a kidding animal to the vet, it really has to be that I've exhausted all the resources that I have. And, and for me, I'm really lucky from the fact that I have daughters who are smaller handed and very competent in pulling kids. So, you know, I can ask a daughter for help. Um, I've got goat friends in a 20 mile radius that will come and help. Um, So I've got a lot of resources that I can use before the vet, but for me, if I'm if I'm almost sure that I'm going to lose the dough, if not the dough and the kids, that's when I'm going to the vet. I I I wish that I could say something a little more positive than that. And my vets are great. I really like the vets that I use, but they just don't want to do farm calls. Now, Laura, the question. So I will I will draw on some experiences here. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jackson. Sorry. Okay. No, I was just going to say, ask Laura, um, with your veterinarian, uh, if you don't mind, uh, are you using a small animal veterinarian or a large animal veterinarian practice? It's a mixed practice. And, and he's been, he's been our vet for, oh goodness, 25 years. Oh, okay. 
and and he's he's got he's got very good skills mm-hmm. um he has um he's shut his whole clinic down to deliver a litter of puppies for me one time uh-huh. um he when we had the dog attack this spring uh, he dropped everything and sewed up the the animals that had gotten attacked. I mean, he is great. So I don't, I really don't want to sound negative about it, but I think you also have to know how to work with your vet. And I just know that this vet, it is just really hard to get him to come make a farm call. Oh, that, you know, I can, and I can totally understand from that perspective, um, not wanting to make a phone, uh, farm call. Uh, and I think, like one of the things like you, what you were saying, it, it's not viewed in a negative light. It's just the other things that he has to do to manage his business. And so I think if you work with your veterinarian, they're going to work with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I found that. So, you know, um, knock on wood, we haven't, we haven't had to do a C-section on a goat now. Oh, heaven forbid. If I just jinxed myself with that, I'm but, knocking on wood. you know, I would have very, uh, all the confidence in the, yeah, me too. <laughs> My head here. Um, we would have all, you know, I would have all the confidence in the world that he'd do a great job. Um, I, I it just would, it would be in, in the clinic, not here at my house. Yes. So. I will tell you on our farm, on my dad's farm, when I was there, well, the last time we had a C-section, I was in uh, a senior year of high school. So that's been 10 plus years ago now. Um, and I remember it very vividly, actually. I, I wasn't there, but I remember it vividly, um, like it was yesterday. So um, I will tell you that from a, a kind of a, a veterinary perspective is that if in, when you do make that call, be prepared to wait. Most of the time, and this is, again, most of the time, people make the call when they need it. However, the the veterinarian obviously doesn't move at lightning pa- lightning pace and obviously at some points in time as well they may have to drive a little bit or they might be um at, you know other places or other things there on that so that's one thing that that goat breeders have to remember is that um veterinarians it might take them up to an hour to get to your house and then they have to assess the situation when they get there as well so really understand that you know, it might take some time before hey, it's determined, okay, they can do a C-section or, or it might be an hour and a half before you make that call. So thinking ahead of time and saying, hey, maybe I, I can't do this. Maybe I can't do this, but I'm going to try a little bit longer. But making that call first before you go and you try again would be a little bit more advantageous for the animal if it really is um, a, a, a timing situation. Does that make sense to this group? Yeah, I would say that makes perfect sense. Go ahead oh, and yeah. have that. Be be prepared for that uh, for the vet to come out and take care of things if you can't get it. Because it's always better to you know pay that farm call if they get out there and you've already got the kid out than to you know have a dead doe and dead kids. Yeah, I, I think really being proactive and most of the time, a little inside baseball for those that haven't made a farm call recently here is most of these times these clinics, they don't talk directly to a vet. They talk to an answering service. The answering service then relies that onto the vet. The vet then gets either says, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. And then gives you a call or they ask him, they call for a couple more questions to get a sense of how long they can, how, when they can be there, what the situation is. And then again, another inside baseball here is, 
um, at least my wife does it this way, is she spends the entire call preparing herself or the entire drive preparing herself for whatever the situation may be as well. So if it's a, if it's a lambing problem, she goes through every single situation that could be, that could cause the lambing issue. So that's, that's, that's how vets, that's how some vets work there, at least from my experiences living with my wife. And Catherine is mostly large animal. Is that correct, Cameron? A hundred percent large animal, a hundred percent large animal and does all of their small ruminant stuff. In addition to all of their, she, she's on call once a week. So, um, very, very nice for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't, I mean, she, she gets calls, large animal, she gets calls, but it's not as many as one would think that they would see in a traditional practice yeah. where they ha- only have one or two doctors. Yeah. So we actually, we have a, um, our veterinarian is a large animal vet, uh, but he's actually had experience raising dairy goats in the past and he lives right down the road from us. So it's kind of a very advantageous situation for us, I guess you would say. Uh, but he's, he's uh, really great at mobilizing uh, and are getting to us quickly when we need him, which um, thankfully uh, we're able with my mom. We don't need him as often as, um, as some people might, but you know, knock on wood, uh, he has been able to get to us when we do need him. Laura, do you, um, when you have conversations with your veterinarian, do you say, Hey, I'm going to be starting kidding season around this time. And this is what my protocols are looking like. Do you ever have those pre kidding conversations there on that with your veterinarian? Um, every year, about this time of year, I go through my uh, little drug chest, my little supply of drugs that I have, and see what I need to replace or um, you know, what I'm out of or what's expired past the point that my vet feels it's safe to use. So at that time, you know, when I go with my little shopping list of things that I want, informally my vet has said and what do you use this for remind me what this drug you know what what you use this drug for what's your protocol we kind of go over that now this year i made a little bit more of a formal appointment with them because of the the changes that are coming this summer and um you know a i wanted my vet to be aware that i was aware of that b I wanted to see just how formal they want our relationship to be. You know, do they want me to uh, type up a paper with the protocols that I follow so that they have that on record and they feel comfortable with that? And, and it was a really positive discussion with the vets. And I felt like that um, they were impressed, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, oh, well, you know, yeah, I forgot those changes are coming this summer. And, you know, we feel really comfortable with what you do. We know that you'll always, you know, reach out to us if you have any questions and, and, you know, sure, we're fine continuing to buy drugs for you and, and, you know, getting, getting what, getting you what you need. So I think that's anytime, I think that's a good, a good conversation to have, but especially pre-kidding season. Yeah. On that Um, real quick here, we're running long. I knew this episode was going to run long, but let's, Let's. What is one drug that you have in your chest that you like to use during kidding season when there are problems? Just, just real quick here, Jackson. I guess what's your 
What's your choice if there is a problem there? Dexamethasone. Shout it! Shout it louder for the people. Dexamethasone. Uh, now you have you have to be careful when using this one, but I feel that the uh, the advantages that you have when you're using this one, whether it's for a, a doe or whether you're inducing a doe that maybe is a little bit early and she's having some issues. That's going to stimulate the respiratory systems in the unborn kids, and you have a much better chance of having live and healthy kids if you use that drug uh, when you induce. Correct. You couldn't have said it better myself. Laura, what, what do you like, or what's something fun in your chest that might be a little different? I don't know that it's fun, but um, I am liberal with the banamine. Um, yes, I have dexamethasone and I'll use that. Um, but banamine, if, if I've got a mom who, and I think we all, I think we all have seen this, you know, those ones that you just look at their back end after that kidding and they're just sore and you can tell, and, and, you know, she's grinding her teeth and she's got her, her hair all puffed up. Um, in addition to that nice bucket of warm molasses water after they kid, I'll give them, I'll give them some IV banamine to just kind of get them over that hump where, you know, they're feeling better. They're feeling like eating and hopefully making some milk and recovering. Cause I, I think it's, I think it's just not very compassionate to have them have a, a set of quads and then just leave them to their own devices. So, so IV as compared to IM, why do you do that on the banamine? It's safe to give it IV and it, it uh, works quicker than giving it IM. If you're not comfortable giving something IV, um, you know, have your vet show you how to do it. If your vet's comfortable doing that, it definitely does work just fine giving it IM. But, um, I, you know, I start IVs all the time. So IV doesn't scare me. It, you know, it, it's something that we use here. Yeah, I would say banamine is definitely a really great drug to use. Um, your daughter is texting us, Laura. Uh, all I saw. Things, <laughs> yes, about... How much she loves banamine there. And I would agree with her on that. Two two great drugs as well there. Um, my my drug of choice besides oxytocin is going to be lutalase. Again, the the ability to induce is really really important for me and how we operate because again we are under a time crunch mostly on the weekends there on that. So that's something that's really really big into my one there as well. And then penicillin as well. Penicillin for the kids. Penicillin for the does. You can never go wrong with penicillin, assuming you can find it. Again, there has been a huge penicillin shortage. Um, I was talking to Garrett Morris. We actually had him on the podcast uh, last year or so, and he was telling me that it took them about six weeks to just find some penicillin. So um, really, really, really um, good drug there to have. So my choice would be penicillin. Guys, we are running long this week. Is there anything that we really want to hit on on getting ready for kidding season that uh, maybe we haven't touched on? And I think we're going to have to do a part two, um, Cameron, and, and look at actually post-kidding and, and kid raising for another episode down the road. Yeah, absolutely. There, Yes. Um, I guess Jackson, what final thoughts do you have kind of pre-kidding season there? Or maybe what's one thing that you think everyone should know um that Jackson Noble has the insight for? Um I guess one thing that I would uh really advise, and Laura, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the uh show tonight. 
but for all of the young ladies listening or all of the women listening, uh, when you are using hormone drugs like oxytocin or lutalase, ju- uh, just exercise extreme caution. Make sure that you wear gloves and are very careful administering that. And then again, also with reproductive fluids, especially on those that have aborted or uh, or haven't, you know, have dead fetuses in them. Uh, just be very careful if that touches you, uh, especially if you are trying to have children or are pregnant or are pregnant at the time. Uh, just be very, very careful uh, about touching those fluids or um, fetuses. Cameron, what about you? Um, I really make sure that you have a good relationship with your vet. I, I, I think it's so important because the one phone call you don't want to make is to XYZ veterinary clinic that you don't have a veterinary client patient relationship with um, that, that you don't know and doesn't know your operation because at the end of the day, they are less likely to come out and help you when you really need it. The worst phone, the worst time to talk to your veterinarian is when you need them the most. So making sure you have that good relationship with them, you're running things by them, you're having conversations that need to be have, uh, need to be need to be talked about before kidding season is so important. Um, my wife and I we do it all the time, and I get it. She's my veterinarian, and and I know that, but. We talk through these protocols just as if I was a producer because there will be times in which she's not always going to be there and I need to know how to handle these things in case these things do come up. So it is so important to have a good working relationship with whoever your veterinarian is, whether it's your mom, your wife, your, your third cousin twice removed. It is so important to have that during this time of the year. Well said. Laura, what about you? Okay, mine's a little bit more of a touchy-feely, guys. When I was younger and first had dairy goats, kidding season was the second most exciting season of the year to me, behind breeding season, you know, because breeding season is always exciting because you know that you are breeding that next national champion, right? Yeah, yeah, every breeding is the national champion, duh. Yeah, duh. So, so kidding season is the fruition of, of all of that planning, you know. And as I've gotten older, every year I dread kidding season more and more because I think the longer that you have goats, the more you see that things can and do go wrong at kidding season. And and I think it's easy to to get bogged down into the scared and what ifs and and you know, I just want my favorite does to make it through this year. I hope I get another year out of them. So I guess my advice to everybody is even in those times of sorrow, and we know that those are going to come the longer you have dairy goats, that you're, you're going to hit those times. Sit back, enjoy that total reckless abandoned joy that baby goats have, you know, let that joy wash over you and remind you why we do this. Most of us aren't doing it because we're making a living with it. Some of us do, but um, you know, we do it for the love of those animals and, and the, the relationship that we have with the animals and the other people that, that have come into our lives because of them. And, and remember that, that there's good things about kidding season two. So don't get bogged down in the hard parts of it. That's, that's my touchy feely um, 
words of wisdom here. At the end of the day, hopefully we're doing this because we enjoy it. So we have to take time to enjoy it. Right. And what is cuter than baby goats? I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> if our listeners want to find you, Jackson, on the internet, um, where where can they find out more about you in the mini herds that you have a finger in? Of course, yes. So uh, you can look me up on Facebook, uh, Jackson Noble. Uh, you can look up our farms on Facebook as well. That's J&M Hideaway Farm, 3G Family Farm, and Heatwave Toggenberg's. Uh, and those that Facebook would probably be the best place to uh, connect with me at if you're interested about uh, my goat or our goats or uh, me. I'm not that interesting. I like to think my goats are a little bit interesting, but uh, yeah, if you hit me up with a <laughs> friend request or something on there, and we'll be happy to I'll be happy to uh, connect with you. Awesome. Well, Jackson, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it um, and wish you and the many herds and many goats um, a happy, healthy kidding season. Likewise. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We hope that our paths will cross in the next year. Um, Maybe at some shows or something. North Carolina is a little far for me, but who knows? You know, maybe... Maybe we'll run into each other. Yeah, somewhere. hopefully we'll run into each other some. All right, uh, listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. If you like us, tell a friend. If not, leave us some feedback. Feedback is a blessing, and we appreciate that. You can find us on the Facebook, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find The Goat Gab. As always, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode of Goat Gab.